welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I am joined by Holly Bell, Bake Off finalist 2011, presenter, writer and owner of Mrs. Bell's Brownies. Hi, Holly. Hello. Welcome to the Divorce Club. It's I am so excited because I am a huge fan, as you know, and I get really, really excited when I see a new episode um, on my phone. So this is, yeah. Very, very um, honoured to be on the podcast. Thank you. Oh, well, I'm very honoured that you're a fan. Thank you for listening. Um, and it's it's lovely to uh, be contacted by people who listen who are also divorced like you did. So thank you. Yes. So how does it feel when I say that you are divorced? You know, I've been thinking about this because obviously as a listener, I've been sort of preempting what you might ask and thinking, how do I feel about that? And I think it's really important to be honest about all of this because I think as you will know once you get divorced or you're in the process of getting divorced everyone you know wants to sort of get your counsel on whether they should get divorced or about their relationship problems and I try to be I don't sugarcoat it at all and I'll be honest with you it makes my heart jump still a bit that I'm divorced like I feel and I think what it goes back to is it's like none of us particularly well I say as girls but like I feel as a as a woman I when I was a little girl I never thought I'd get divorced I just it wasn't part of my story because my parents were happily married and are still happily married both sets of my grandparents were together until uh they one of them died and they didn't remarry um I don't have any siblings so I didn't have any of those stories um and I find 
the fact it's I say it's happened to me like it didn't passively happen to me I actually made the decision myself um but I I still it gets me right here in the heart of it I it makes me it shocks me and I don't know if that will ever go away and I don't know if that's a problem either I don't think it's a problem it's just how it is yeah absolutely I think it's interesting because you saying that you thought you'd never be divorced. And I think we all go into a marriage hoping we won't be divorced. But weirdly, when I was younger, I don't know if it was like a comedy thing or something, but I always used to say that I'd be married several times, like to my friends. And I was really obsessed with like Elizabeth Taylor and how many husbands she had. And I think I saw it as like a really glamorous thing to like get married and then divorced. Yeah, a life well lived. Yeah, and then like be in love with someone else and then get divorced. And, And actually, I think when it happened, to me I was like this is not glamorous Elizabeth Taylor was wrong no it's really not you know when I when I was um, a teenager a very close uh, family member said to me in an argument that we were having this is someone I'm related to said um, you know you you won't just marry once you you'll marry twice at least and it was said as a sort of insult to me <laughs> because um, I was arguing a point about something and it's always stuck in my head. And then when it actually happened, I thought maybe they know other things about me that will happen. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Do you think, but do you think they are right or was it just a coincidence or is it just life now that you're more likely to get divorced than you have been in the past? I think that. um women now are much less likely to um, settle for something that doesn't feel, not saying perfect because perfect doesn't exist, but um, for example, they're, they're not, they're not going to stay in something if it's making them really unhappy. And I think in the past, because of financial issues and because of society and stigma, although I would argue that that stigma is absolutely still there in a massive way that people who haven't been divorced don't really understand Um, particularly if you've got kids having I've got three children and having three children and being divorced you feel it when you tell people there's a there's a look and then interestingly one of the next questions you get is are they all from the same dad and I've had that asked so many times it's so offensive I mean that they are but also if they weren't so what (laughs) you know um so yeah I think it's just that we we don't you know, we're living longer as well, aren't we? You know, it's the whole Marianne Keys thing where she says, you know, when people used to live until they were 50, then being married once made sense, didn't it? Am I the same person that I was? You know, I got married when I was 28 and I'm 41 in a couple of days. I'm not the same person, no. So, yeah. I saw I saw um, that tweet and that quote by Marianne Keys and I was like, yes, totally. Like if you're just looking at like 20 years and then you'll probably die at 40 or whatever, then you're like, great, I can yeah. probably stick that out. Yeah, you're not going to rock the boat, are you, really? But, you know, when you think you could be going to 80. Yeah, that's a long <laughs> time. Um, so let's go back. So you said you were married at 28. Mm. How long were you together before you separated and applied for divorce? Ah, so the timeline is, if we go back a little bit further, is quite interesting. So we met um, at Christmas in 2007. 
and we were engaged nine days later. Wow. Yeah. That's fu- that's one of the fastest I've ever heard. Yeah. I think that's almost as fast as someone like Pamela Anderson. And that's about as far <laughs> as the con- comparison between us goes. But, you know, um, so, yeah, we met and we got engaged nine days later. And then we decided in that first flush of love that we wanted to have a baby straight away. I mean, I'm so glad we did because he's lovely and, and you know, wouldn't change anything for the world in that respect. But yeah, I then was, didn't think I'd get pregnant straight away because you hear all these horror stories. And um, uh, I was pregnant 18 days after meeting him. Oh my gosh, everything's happening so, so fast. Yeah. Uh, and then we had decided that we didn't want to have a long engagement because, uh, we didn't really believe in those. That was our kind of romantic. I look back and the naivety of it all is so astounding to me now as an older, wiser, slightly beaten up woman that I'm like, oh, you know, really? Why would you do this? Come on, Holly. You know, um, anyway, we set the date and we got married in the April and had our first child in the October. So I was there on my wedding day and I didn't know who half the people were. And I remember at one point I said to him, I think we've got gay crushes. And it turned out they were just his friends. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you just never met them because you didn't no, have time. No. So within a year, you've met him, got engaged, got married, had a baby. Yeah. So met him December 07 and by October 08, married and a mother. And to give the context of it even more oddness is that my life before him, I also moved. So I'd been living in London, working in advertising, very single girl lifestyle, to put it, you know, reading between the lines. It was, I I earned quite a good amount of money. I had a really nice flat. I had a nice little convertible. I worked in East London. Living the dream, I'd say, Uh, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have to say it was pretty good. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was great, you know. And and then I went from that to cut to a year later. I have no job uh, because I I tried to commute to London when I was pregnant and it was a disaster because I had such bad morning sickness on the middle of main line. It was not fun. Um, I was married to someone who I didn't know very well. I'd moved back to my hometown of Leicester because staying in London just seemed like such a mad thing to do when we're having a baby and his work was up here anyway so it just that's what we we made that decision together so not working no income uh mother had a not great birth experience my dad um a month before I got married had had a massive heart attack and ended up having to have a bypass he was in hospital for months. He was only let out for the day to see me get married. He couldn't, we had to change the way the aisle was for the wedding. So it was a shorter aisle because he couldn't walk very far. Like I look back at it and just think, wow, like I'm surprised I didn't have some kind of breakdown. You know, like it was a really odd year. It's interesting because my dad was, my dad had a lung condition called COPD. So he was in a home um quite he got sort of ill quite suddenly um and I was engaged by that point and then he was in a home and we had to 
we had an early wedding in a registry office um and then we had the big planned one because he was dying so we had to we had a whole different wedding because my dad was going to pass away and he was in a wheelchair and he, so he couldn't walk me down the aisle so we changed oh. it as well so he just stayed at the top of the aisle in his wheelchair and then I walked up on my own and then he sort of handed my hand over and it makes it it feels um I think it puts a lot more pressure on it in terms of for me I felt like the marriage was a really I don't know if you felt the same like it felt so big because it was I there was one part of my sort of the the a man in my life who was potentially you know there were points where he was really really unwell and we weren't sure if he was going to make it and obviously you've lost your dad and it's a it does feel like that gateway into well now I'm moving on with the next point in my life yeah and my dad had died before then oh. the second wedding that we'd planned so then he wasn't there at all and we'd been planning all these things like you know if he was around we can live stream the wedding so he can watch it from you know his bed in the home and so he'd passed away and weirdly now looking back and I wonder if you have this I wonder if I rushed into getting married or I wanted to get married more because I had something in my life really big that was happening and I wanted some security. I really relate to that, but in a, with a different family member, because my dad had his heart attack and I was already, the date was already set. So it, it definitely wasn't a catalyst in, in sort of bringing the wedding forward in any way. But my grandmother, my maternal grandmother died in the November before I met my ex-husband a month later. And she and I were extremely close. I used to spend every Saturday with her right up until I was about 15 just the two of us like I just I mean she wasn't like a normal grandma and whatever that's supposed to be but you know she was quite naughty she used to take me out and get me drunk um she used to buy she bought me my first black wonder bra when I was like 12 and said oh you should wear it under your shirt at school because you know because I used to wear these <laughs> blue shirt, light blue shirts because then you know but people would be able to see it and I, mean, I look back at it and think this is awful behavior she was very naughty um and we just, I could tell her anything. Like she was just, um, it's a really special relationship, I think, between a grandparent and a grandchild where you can be that bit more yourself in some ways because there isn't that sort of parental need to control that you, you know, particularly, I think, 20 years ago, parents and children are a bit different now. But um, yeah, she she passed away and I didn't really mourn it properly. Yes, and I think now it definitely had a bit of a, a pushing effect. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I do relate. Uh, so yeah, we were, so we married very, very quickly. And then um, we separated January 2017. Yeah. And we were divorced by the July I believe or the June we'd had a quick online divorce oh wow yeah um but that wasn't the end of the divorce journey oh. so yeah. well my divorce has taken two and a half years and I am now yeah I've been following it actually every week when because I at first I, I I was very I wanted to get in touch with you and say oh be careful be careful because it sounded like it was all really really amicable and then it sounded like there were issues over the finances and I relate 
and I thought oh no no like get it all sorted before you know and then I thought now I've got to butt out because it's not my divorce (laughs) well yeah it's it's the journey has definitely been interesting um and and also obviously I've had to be quite careful about what I say because we were in the divorce process um and also, I don't think he's an awful human being or anything like that. But yeah, it definitely started off very lovely and like, oh, my God, this is going to be great. And then it was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Always does. Always does. I've had many coffees with lots of um, I've become that friend that when another friend has got um, someone they know going through a divorce, they say, oh, you must go for a coffee with Holly. She'll be able to help you. And I have sat in so many coffee shops in Leicester and listened to usually stories of uh, it's really amicable we're going to be friends and me going mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and going well I really hope that works out for you but if it doesn't maybe here's some advice um and then the other thing is they never think there's another woman and they'll be telling me all these stories of what's been going on and I'll say you maybe just might want to brace yourself because I think you'll there probably is yeah it's interesting I I think well, we jointly made the decision. I have to say I was the driving force in yeah. the decision to break up. And there wasn't anyone else for me. Um, and I don't think there was for him. Um, but I don't want to find out, even if there was. Sometimes it's better not to know. Yeah. Like, I, I think my younger self would have needed to know warts and all everything. But I think as I'm getting older, I'm kind of okay with sometimes... You know, like sometimes what you don't know is is better left over there. Yeah. And I think especially at this point I'm at now, I'm just like, I don't want to think now I am officially divorced because I started the podcast when I yeah. had my decree NYSI and I was like, oh, it's yeah, it's going to be over in a minute. That's why I started the podcast. And yeah, like it's not. Yeah. Yes. But now it is officially over. I've had my decree. Absolute. The finances are sorted. Everything's been signed off. Yeah. And it was and it's it's very exciting to be at this point. And I do, you know, even though the amount of people I've spoken to on the podcast and I've heard so many stories and, you know, my divorce definitely hasn't been um, some of the more difficult ones that I've heard about. But it is such a weight off your shoulders when you get that decree. Absolute. Yeah. It's a, it literally yeah, is. I literally feel lighter. So you got, well, the first stage was you got a quickie divorce on the internet in six months. Please tell me about this. I didn't know this was possible. So I, when, it, when we decided to call it a day, we were really amicable and friendly. So much so we were still going out for dinner as a family together once a week. And it was, it sort of seemed silly to involve solicitors and pay huge amounts of money. We both had known of friends of friends who'd gone through that and, you know, just thought that's not for us. Do you know what? We, we're better than that. So we did this online divorce, which also included um, a financial agreement as well, a clean break, which you will know this lingo but for anyone who is not aware and is listening a clean break is basically where you agree that nobody uh what and whatever the division is that's it like there's no you can't come back and go actually I want a bit more you you don't get to then go can I have some money every month from you because we were married for x amount of years now child maintenance is dealt with completely separately the courts don't get involved with in it unless you're very very high earner so this is what we did. Um, 
and you can't start to fill in all of the financial details until you've got the decree NISI, as you know. So for people who don't know, the decree NISI is like the first sort of form that says a judge has agreed that your reason for wanting to be divorced is valid. So you can carry on with the process, but you're not divorced yet. Yeah. And it's almost like there's a cooling off period then of six weeks, isn't there, where you then have to, you either take it all the way to decree absolute or you don't, I guess. I wonder what happens if you don't. You're just forever in this limbo of decree nice. Yeah, well, I guess you... Or is there... There must be a cut-off. Well, you'd still officially be married, wouldn't you? Yeah, and you would. Yeah. Anyway, I maybe some lawyer could get in touch and tell us. I don't know. But um, <laughs> even I'm never going to get married again, I actually don't care. But that's... <laughs> um, so that's what we did. And then you can't start doing the finances until you've got the first stage. And I was extremely trusting... And I now realise that as soon as you say to somebody that you no longer want to be married to them or in a relationship with them, and I say this to anyone I know who's going through this, the person that you knew that you were married to no longer exists because that person only existed between you during that marriage. As soon as you say that's over, that person has changed and moved on, even if it's just from that, having had that shock of being told you know I don't want to be married anymore or having agreed together that you don't want to be married anymore so I was very very naive and I didn't listen to friends and family who gave me advice to say make sure that all of the finances are sorted and I lived to regret it is the best way to describe it um and what happened was that uh, clean break that had been paid for as part of the online divorce, we never used that because it ended up going to court. And it is a very, very stressful experience. Like, I, I don't think... It's one of those things when you tell friends about what it's like. I had a group of friends who were on a little WhatsApp group for me and were really, really supportive during this whole experience. And it went on for years, like years. And I felt at one, it got to a point where I felt like I had, I'd kind of, I'd had my nine lives with them. Like I had to stop telling them about what was going on because it was so traumatic that I felt like I was just pushing the trauma onto them. And I ended up internalising it instead. And I, I actually, I'm not convinced in hindsight, telling friends who are in really happy marriages about your court woes is a good idea. I think you need to speak to people who've been through it or speak to someone completely impartial who you've paid to see actually and I because I think they were always lovely and always supportive and and brilliant but I just think it was too much to ask I think it I can totally relate to that because when something goes on for a really long time I think as well if you haven't been divorced you sort of think the breakup is the worst bit but actually no it's the it's the divorce and the legal side of things and all the paperwork and because it can go on for so long and it becomes quite personal and quite pernickety and it can feel it feels like a, the way the process works in the UK is is just dreadful because it, it it's it's created to make you fight the way that it works 
and you know you know this from filling in you have to fill in these forms where you have to sort of say what your outgoings are and what you need in order to live and you have to almost kind of stake a claim and I again this is something that I didn't realize because I went into it going well you know I can I don't need to have this or that or that I can live without that and I was like trying to minimize my needs and then I was told that's not what you do you maximize your needs and I just didn't have any idea like I'm as I say no one in my family immediate family been through this um I also self-represented um apart from court days so I had I I did something called a, a direct access where you hire a barrister for the day but I did all of the solicitor work myself all the paperwork wow and I'm not sure I'd do that again. <laughs> As I say, it's not going to happen. But I, I think if I, the benefit of hindsight, it was extremely stressful. I mean, I was going to say the amount of paperwork I had to do having a solicitor mm. was stressful in itself. I can't imagine. At one point, I just felt like the paperwork were having babies. And I was like, how yeah, is there yeah, another yeah. four? Like you constantly feel like that's the last four I'm done now. And then there's another one just out of the blue. Another one. And then you've got to update it. And then you've got to, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to buy a new bed that has one of these under, underneath storage things that lifts up because, and I, I wanted to kind of burn all the paperwork because it was such a, it was a horrific experience. It really was. I cannot stress enough. Um, but I am loath to do that because I, because of it having gone backwards and forwards so much, I don't, even though it is officially over, I don't trust that it's over. So I've kept everything and it's all now under my bed, which I'm pretty sure isn't conducive to like an exciting love life. Having all of your like paperwork about your, your previous marriage, is it? It's like you're sleeping on the grave of your marriage. Yeah. May, might need to relook at that. Yeah. Uh, Put yeah. it in the shed in waterproof boxes, maybe. Yeah. Um, but no, I can totally relate with the paperwork and also with the finances of saying, and when you said they're a different person as soon as you break up. And I think it is really hard because you start to think, oh, God, I do need to protect myself in this situation. Yeah, you have to turn into a sort of super sleuth. And I think as well, it isn't like, you know, the whole system for divorcing and the financial agreement in the UK is based around really old law. <laughs> it's all a bit of a minefield and it needs to change. But and I did go through a period where when this was all going on, where um, so I very nearly did a law conversion after my English degree, right, years ago. And I last minute decided not to. And I went and ended up working in advertising instead, which was great fun. And I'm sure much more enjoyable than going to court every day. Um, but I got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about this because it went on for so long. I was like, right, I'm going to retrain and I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to basically be a crusader for women who have been you know, sort of don't really understand what they're doing and who needs someone who's like emotionally available to them as well as going to know the law. And because I, I could see there was this gap in the market. And I spoke to my boyfriend's ex, who is a lawyer. Um, and I said, you know, like, what do you think? Do you think I should do it? And she was really good. She's a lot younger than me. And she was just really quite, how can I put it? She just, she just said, I think at the moment you're in the eye of the storm. And I think I just let the dust settle. And I think if, if you think that you'll be able to change the world by 
by basically becoming a solicitor, you must remember you will probably have to defend people who are not on the side you want to be on. And I was like, oh, oh, yes, that's a really good point. So anyway, so that didn't happen. I love that, though, as a reaction to a difficult divorce. You're like, I'm going to become a lawyer and change the world. Well, my other reaction was because I've also gone through lots of uh, wranglings with uh, the child maintenance agency, which is ongoing, not with them, but having to use them. And uh, there are lots of loopholes in child maintenance in the UK, which when you're married and you have kids, you don't realise, because why would you look into this stuff? Like, it's like, it's such a, what a depressing thing to do. Do you know what, should we have a baby? I'll tell you what I'll do first. I'll look up and find out that if we split up, that you will actually pay for the kid. Like, I mean, it's just grim, isn't it? You're not going to do that. I didn't realise, and I don't think many people realise, that if your partner is a company director and they pay themselves minimum wage, which most people do, who are company directors, and then they take the rest of their earnings as dividends, the child maintenance agency calculate the child maintenance on the basic earnings, which is 12,000 a year. And it's a massive loophole. And unless you know and can prove that there are excess earnings through dividends, the onus is on the receiving parent to make a case and say, this person has other income which seems like madness to me. It's like, why is that up to, you're already doing the main bit of the parenting. You're kind of busy, you know. And I tried to get this into the newspapers because I was so angry about it. And I, um, I'm i on Instagram and I, I sort of put out a bit of a shout out saying, has anybody else come across this loophole? And I had, I'm not joking, in one night I had 400 messages. Wow. Yeah. From women who were, some of them were um, having to claim benefits whilst their exes were earning six figures. They, I mean, some of the stories were just awful. There was um, a lady who told me that her ex would post money through the letterbox, cash. He wouldn't pay any, that's the only way he'd give her money. And But he would urinate on the money first. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So like, anyway, there there were horror stories. So all these women who were going, yeah, this is true. This is a nightmare. And because the people who make these laws and the people who work in this are predominantly men, it hasn't changed. And I then, so I got really like, right, this has got to change. We've got to make, so I got in touch with some journalists. I know a couple of journalists and I got in touch and I was like, you know what? I'm more than happy to go on the record about this and you can use, you know, not that having been on the Bake Off is some like great. It is. Bake Off is amazing. A newspaper, but it gives you a, a slight bit of leverage. Yeah. So I was like, I'm happy to be that person. And you know what? I, I One lady who writes regularly for The Guardian actually said to me, yeah, somebody tried to do this to The Independent a while ago and they did a small article and basically just nobody was that interested in it. It's just not got a lot of... I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's not her fault, but like, I was like, wow, like we just don't care because it isn't the mums it affects and it is mainly mums because I think it's something like 80% of single parents are female. It's, it's the kids it affects. You're not punishing the egg, you're punishing your kids. And, it, but it's, and it's a huge issue. And what happens is you everyone you speak to about this says that they start to feel a bit grubby about it and as if they're being really awful and money grabbing and 
whenever I hear this from other women, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's what they want you to think. They want you to feel ashamed for trying to get some funds for your kid. Don't feel ashamed. I think, um, yeah, the older I get, the less I have that shame. <laughs> Utterly shameless. <laughs> well, I think as part of the process of divorce, standing up for yourself as an individual financially does teach you a lot about yourself and your worth. And Yes. So I never realised how much I could handle. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Like, I've always thought of myself as a bit pathetic and someone who cries really easily and gets like, I was like, oh, I'm not really made of strong stuff. And I don't know if you felt this, but when it actually happens yeah. to you. I think anyone who's been through um, a divorce of any kind or, you know, a tough breakup, or you know a loss of a of a um, spouse, you know it, they're all very different. But I think it does give you a resilience just going through a traumatic experience, <laughs> like many divorces yeah. are. Yeah, I feel like a warrior now. Like I, I mean, I have three sons, and I, I took them last year on holiday alone to um Denmark because my boyfriend wasn't very well he was supposed to be coming but he couldn't come and I was at the airport with these three kids you know and and I and I just thought do you know a few years ago I wouldn't have been able to cope with this it would have been too much and now I just feel a bit fearless I'm like I've been to court so many times now like there's not much that scares me yeah I remember I don't have children but when I went on holiday by myself for the first time after um I separated from my ex and you know my friends were busy and I and I just really wanted to go away and I thought sure I'm just gonna go by myself give it a go and I asked loads of people um you know, on my Instagram, if they'd done it before and any advice and stuff. And I had such a great time. It was, it was weird. Yeah, sure. Um, but just the idea that like I could control my itinerary and on holiday and like, I didn't have to compromise on like what I wanted to eat that night and stuff. It was actually an amazing, I'm so glad I did it. And I would do it again now, you know, even if I was in a relationship. Oh, I think it's, um, when I, when I was before I got married, I went on holiday in my twenties twice to um, uh, coastal. I say India, but coastal parts of India. We're not talking like you know proper trekking or anything. I mean, I stayed in a hotel, um, but I went twice alone, and I just loved it. Like it is weird. I think I read a thing once somewhere that said that you know that you're comfortable going on holiday alone when you don't take a book to dinner, and I I'm not sure I ever got to that point. But no, one day. Yeah, I don't think I did. Book all my phone. Yeah. So um, also just going back to that campaign um, you tried to start in the press, um, I think that's really important with the child support and there's a big loophole. So just wanted to say if any lawyers or anyone like that are listening and they wanted to contact you about how you could work on that, I yeah, think I they are 100% should. And the Divorce Club podcast would be totally behind it too. Yeah, I really want to. I'm a big fan of the flex appeal that um, that is ongoing on Instagram and, and in the press at the moment. And I feel like I this for me is is an extension of this because what when you uh, 
have mothers who aren't being supported, where, where the children aren't being supported properly by the um, non-resident parent, you're making that other parent work longer hours. So they're not actually then spending the right amount of developmental time and emotional time with their children. And this is what everybody's missing here. They think it's about money. And yes, it is about money. And we shouldn't be ashamed of saying children cost money. They do. Like, you know, my... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. 
So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. One of my sons is, is, is huge for his age and he, his shoes are 50 quid a go. And we're not talking amazing shoes here. We're just talking like bog standard school shoes, you know. So it, kids cost money. But also if, if that parent, you know, I've been in a situation where I've had to work doubly hard in order to fill in those gaps. So when they're coming to me and saying, can you come and play this game with me? I'm going, I'm really sorry. Sorry, I just can't. I'm, I'm, I've got to work. And I hate being, I don't want to do that. I don't, you know, I love my work, but I don't want to work all the time. Like I, I would love to spend more time with my kids. And it's got to a point where my youngest son actually says things like, um, I kiss him goodnight and, you know, bathe him, kiss him goodnight, read him a story. And then he says, are you going to go and do your work now, mummy? And I say, yes, I am. And then I will often work right through till midnight. And that's rubbish. It shouldn't be like that. But yeah, let's let's have a revolution. Let's sort it out. <laughs> yeah, let's sort it out. Divorce Club Massive. We can do it. <laughs> um, so quite often I ask people, you know, throughout that whole process, do you remember a lowest time? So I, when I first was notified that, legal action was starting I was notified by letter um I had no idea like literally absolutely no idea it was half term and I saw a letter and I knew straight away from the stamp on the letter that it was from a solicitors and I thought mm, like and I opened it and I was so shocked I felt like my heart was seizing like I was I was so I can't it was it was a very unpleasant physical feeling and I rang my parents and read out there were two letters read them both out um and then I spoke to my boyfriend as well and said like look at this look at this and then that afternoon I actually um had to see my ex-husband because he was coming to pick the kids up and this is what I find so hilarious about all this. It's so British. I, I just didn't say anything. Like, as if, yeah, fine. You know, didn't say a word. Um, and then I went to bed. And this still sounds very um, 18th century, but I didn't get out of bed for three days. I mean, I did get, get out of bed to go to the loo. Obviously, I didn't, you know, that would have been gross. But um, I was not, I didn't feel very well. Like, mentally, I felt. I felt like I just thought I can't I can't do this this is too much I felt I, I kept thinking what how can I get through this without having to actually go through it what can I do how can I cope with this and I was like at first I was just like just shut down I was in bed I felt really unwell um I was sick a lot vomiting horrendous stomach cramps and I felt really beaten. Like it, it was a really, I can't, it was so awful. And my boyfriend was lovely and very, he's a very caring person, very nurturing. And he, he didn't sort of do that thing of going, pull yourself together. Or he just sort of just looked after me and I remember him bringing me soup in bed and just like treating me as if I was just a bit poorly. And he could see I was like mentally not well. I stopped sleeping. I didn't sleep for two days at all. Felt so unwell. And he ended up taking me to the doctor and saying, this is what's happened. 
this is what she's been sent. She really needs to sleep. And they prescribed me some sleeping pills. And I was really scared of taking them because I know they're really addictive. Um, and I only ever took two of them, but it was a, it was they were brilliant because it reset my system. And then I started sleeping again. I lost a lot of weight. Um, and then I started having hot flushes. And then uh, various other symptoms. And to cut a long story short, I ended up going to see my GP again. And I said, I just don't feel well. And they said, well, you know, you're going through this whole situation. And I said, no, there's something different. Like I'm waking up in the night and I feel like I'm on fire. And, and I'm a really cold person who's always, you know, I'm the, the woman with the coldest feet in bed. And I said, you know, and I, I, I feel, I just I feel really odd. I keep having these like rages where I feel so angry and then it goes again. And uh, I was like, my legs are really hairy. I was like, more than normal, you know? <laughs> and I sort of, anyway, went through all these symptoms. And they said, you know, we're gonna do some bloods on you just to test all your hormone levels. And anyway, it turned out that I, um, I started to go into menopause. And I, I got a call back from the GP after they tested all my hormone levels. And they said, you, um, you're, you're, um, there's FSH and LH different hormones and they said your levels are at a point where you um you need to see a consultant because you you're you need to have hrt i was like right uh what does this like and they said well you really need to see them quite quickly because of your age because i was 38 and so off i went and i was put on patches and uh yeah and they were amazing so I had to also go through that, which was you're going through an early menopause. You've got to, I was prescribed HRT because there's, if, if you go through an early menopause, there's an increased risk of um, stroke and various other things can happen. And yeah, I was like, wow, this is, this is all, it was a real shock. It's not that I wanted any more children, but to suddenly not be able to have any more children was really quite shocking to me. And how did that feel? Because also you were going through discussing, you know, childcare and things like that yeah. with your ex, and then you weren't going to be able to have any more children. Yeah. And I'd also um, not long previously started a relationship with my boyfriend who is younger than me and doesn't have his own children. So that, that was very prevalent in my mind. And I did say to him, I had quite a few sort of teary discussions where I just went, look, I've known him for a really long time we've been friends for years before we got together and I said look you know I think that the right thing for me to do would actually be to end this relationship because I'm older than you I've got three kids I'm going through a really messy nasty court case and I now find out that we won't be able because we'd had sort of fledgling discussions of like he'd said you know would you like to have any more children and I'd gone not really but if you really wanted to have one I would because I understand that need to have your own baby I get that and and I sort of tried to finish it a few times going off you go you know if you a bit like sting you know love someone set them free but he wasn't having any of it so um anyway I then so here's the weird thing I got chatting to a lady who used to be a gynecologist in Russia and I was telling her about this 
And she said in this amazing Bond girl kind of accent, which I won't try and do, but it was amazing. She said, have you been through a really stressful time? And I said, yes, I have. And she said, ah, yes. And I, I told her what had been happening. And she said, oh, yeah, you know, in my country, um, she said, uh, the, there are many cases of this when there have been um, in wartime, when there's been scarcity of food, uh, women go into premature menopause. She said it's often temporary. Anyway, cut to a year later, and I went for my checkup and had all my hormones tested. And when I went into, you have that all done the week before, and then you go in, and then they sort of tell you what the status quo is. And there were two consultants waiting for me, which I'll be honest with you, I just thought, I thought something really bad. Because when do you ever get two NHS consultants in the same room? I just thought, I've got cancer. Like it just, it's a, it sounds like I just thought there's got to be something awful. And it turned out what the reason there were two of them was because they had checked my bloods and I was no longer in menopause. Oh my gosh. And they said, we haven't had a case on our books happen like this. We know it, it does happen. And you now need to take contraception because you're really fertile. And I was like, what? And I've gone through this year of going, I mean, as anyone will tell you, when you go going through menopause at any age is a real moment of realizing that, you know, it's a change in your life where you're, you're no, you know, that kind of youthful I'm here to have babies is it's gone and it and it is a big step change going through it early it was hard like and my symptoms were full-on you know and yeah so uh, I left the hospital and I thought I was just going for a checkup so I rang my boyfriend on the way out of the hospital and he was like how did it go and I said well <laughs> yeah I'm gonna have to be quite careful because apparently I now can get pregnant again. So, yeah. And, and when I saw this same Russian lady, she just said, oh, yeah, you know, that doesn't surprise me like that. I was like, well, it bloody surprised me, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. So how did that feel being essentially told you can't have children again? And then all of a sudden, and you nearly broke up with, you, with your yeah. boyfriend because of it. And then all of a sudden you can. Yeah, well, the first thing it made me do was obviously really worry that I might actually be pregnant then, which is so silly because I've been then because I've been mourning these phantom babies that I wasn't going to have. And then it made me really seriously think about whether I did want to have another child. And in an ideal world, if it weren't for all the litigation, I actually think I would have gone for it. But we have only last year finished with litigation and I I don't have great pregnancies like I, I've had sciatica in last few pregnancies I just thought I don't think my body can cope with it so yeah I also have to work a lot because I have to support the boys so I, I was trying to work out how I would take because I'm self-employed how would I take time out of being self-employed I would only qualify for a maternity allowance which is like not very much money so I just thought it just doesn't work and that's okay and I do feel really sad for my boyfriend about it because he's lovely and he's like 
as my dad said, when my dad met him, my dad just called me off and he went, you've got a good one there, you know. And I said, I know. He said, he's really lovely. And my dad's like a big, gruff ex-policeman, rugby player, you know, like he doesn't really do feelings. But um, yeah, so I do feel a little bit sad. But then also my youngest son has um, has known my boyfriend right from when he was very, very young. So they have a lovely relationship. So, you know, you sort of have to take I try and be a bit more Pollyanna about life these days and see the good in everything. My gosh, it's just a lot, isn't it? To to go like now looking back on on all of that and now that the litigation's finally over, how do you sort of for now <laughs> for now? How do you sort of view yeah. that whole time now? I look back at it and I have to I have triggers sometimes of things that remind me of it. And because, and, and this is one of the things that if you have children with, with someone and then split up with them, you're never really free of each other. And, I'm, you know, and I say each other because I'm sure he feels the same. In fact, I'm pretty definite he does. You, and it, isn't, it doesn't just end when your youngest turns 18. It, you know, when they yeah. get married. If Graduation, get married, weddings, babies. Graduation, birthdays. And even, you know my ex-husband is a bit older than me if he passes away before I do I will probably be the one sitting and consoling my sons about that and that's the sort of and you do your brain naturally goes to these crush points in your life where you go it's never over and I had some I had some very very good advice actually from I went to see a barrister in a different city for some advice after when it all first kicked off I paid a lot of money to basically just take notes on what she said and I told her the story of everything and she just said look I've been doing this a long time I've seen cases like yours before what I would advise is that you move and you move as far away as possible and I was like what I can't do that like my parents are I'm an only child my parents, they're not elderly, but they're getting older. Like, I can't just move. Like, it doesn't work. You know, my, I just can't. My kids are at school. Like, just, and she just said, the far, the more distance you can put between the two of you, the better. These, these sorts of issues don't go away. They escalate. They get worse. And I'm just telling you now that, that you know, and I, obviously, I haven't, I haven't done that. But I do sometimes think about that. And I do feel... I feel sad about how it is. I really do. I don't, that doesn't mean that I think it will change because I don't. And I, I, I've lost all hope of it changing and being amicable and friendly. That's never going to happen. And I've made my peace with that now. But I feel sad for my kids about it. And I have big triggers. You know, I still have to have contact with my ex-partner, albeit by email. I had an email from him this morning. And when he emails, I feel a little bit unwell. Like that's the response it has. And I don't want to feel like that. It is literally just, it is just how I react because, because it has been so tempestuous, which is ironic given our marriage was really not an arguing marriage at all. Um, so maybe we're doing all of that post-marriage. I don't know. Um, but I now, I've got this overwhelming need to help other people over their separation and divorce and I don't 
I'm not sure how to unpick that, like what that says about me and why I feel that need, but I really do. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. I don't know if, I think it's definitely something I think because I seem to have, every time that there's a big thing that happens in my life, like when I was diagnosed with hearing loss and I had to get a hearing aid for the first time, and I sort of went through this whole like now viewing myself as a disabled person with an invisible disability and what hearing loss meant to me in my career. And um, but then I seem to then want to like when I've got through it, help other people. So I became an ambassador for a charity. And like with divorce, I started this podcast. And I don't know what that need is. I think sometimes I think, is it just a selfish need in me? See, That's what I worry about. What is this saying? Is it I actually ended up going to see a, a like a healer? <laughs> I'm really not very woo-woo at all. And yet I'm now going to sound really woo-woo. I went and spent the afternoon with her and she does like acupuncture and cupping. And then there's like, and then she sort of talks you through what's going on in your life. And it was like having like months of therapy in one afternoon. And one of the things she talks to you about and she kind of ekes out of you is what your purpose is. And she, without me sort of telling her what I felt my purpose was, she said, I think your purpose is to help other women. It's very female centric. But I now feel from going to see Tracy, I feel like she's given me permission to take on this sort of mantle and try and help other people with my learnings. Yeah, I've thought about it a lot as well. And I think, you know, even if I am do start it off selfishly, um, if it helps people, then it must, it can't be all bad. Yeah, it doesn't, does it matter where the intention came from if the result is positive for others anyway? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, um, so I'm I'm sort of in the process of gathering stories from women, um, which I've been doing through my social media, through Instagram, where people have been telling me about their divorces, their separations, what they've learned, and I'm sort of pulling it together into sort of, mini chapters mini tales of how other basically just like the wisdom of women together so yeah I'm um I feel like I am a more authentic version of me since getting divorced I look back now and I think I was probably a bit of a smug git when I was married actually and it was a bit fake you know like I'm not it, it was reasonably unhappy from quite early doors for both of us I think and yet I was very good at pretending everything was fine and I know I'm not that woman anymore like and I actually think I'm much better at being in a relationship now I I was talking to my boyfriend about this and he said you know like like you're really good because he's always dated girls who are a lot younger than him and he's a lot younger than me right so like some of these girls could almost have been my daughter. Like, it's sort of worrying. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, it's like, it's so refreshing because, you know, if you're annoyed about something, you just say it, but you don't say it in a big, you don't go mad. You just say, and you don't say it at the time. You sort of wait and then go, well, you know, I was thinking about this that happened earlier and it made me feel a bit like this. And I'm like, you're, yeah. Like, I think, I just think I've got a lot better at conflict and confrontation um, which is something I've learned from being going through a divorce process. So I suppose I do have my ex to thank for that in a roundabout way. Um, 
And I think before I grew up in a family where my parents didn't argue and I didn't have siblings. So I'd never come across like conflict just was not part of my life. So I think now I'm just a lot better at being a bit more upfront about stuff. And I, I also would say controversially, I think I'm a better mum since being divorced. I think that when you are, when, you know, for a while I was a single parent. Now, my boyfriend does help with the boys, but he certainly isn't a stepdad. And I would, you know, they didn't call him dad. You know, he, that's just not his role. They've got a dad. Um, and I think that I'm a lot closer to my kids now. And our relationship is much more honest. Um, and, I've, and I think that's really good going forward. Like, I feel like they can, like, sometimes, particularly as they're getting older, they'll tell me stuff. And I think, I wonder if you'd have told me that when I was still with your dad. I don't think they would. I think they'd have seen us as, like, the parents, you know. And I think now I'm not their friend and I'm really clear with them. We're not friends. I'm your mum. But I want you to be able to tell me stuff that's difficult. And I'll always love you. I might not like some of the stuff you do, but, you know, I'll help you out and support you. So, yeah, I there have been positives to have. Yeah, that sounds really positive. And do you remember a time, you know, maybe after the initial divorce on the internet or even more recently where you thought, I'm going to be okay. This is, life's all right. Yeah, um, it was when the uh, first lockdown happened, actually. And I didn't feel, I had a lot of friends who were messaging and, and getting really, really worried and upset and sort of thinking about the fact they're going to be stuck in these houses with people they might not be feeling that happy with anyway. And I realised that I, and this, and I'm not saying this lightly because clearly hundreds of thousands, millions of people have lost their lives. So this isn't like a, but I actually was thinking, well, I'm quite looking forward to spending time at home with my boyfriend and my boys. I'm genuinely thinking this could be really nice we can you know we're I say lucky but like we've got a quite a nice house and we've you know we've got enough space which I think is really critical for being in lockdown with children and I really enjoy my boyfriend's company like he really makes me laugh and he's silly and I love that because I can be a bit serious so I need that silliness and he makes me sillier. And I just thought, oh, I'm really quite looking forward to it. And I thought, gosh, now I don't think that I would be feeling like that if I was still married. And I'm pretty sure neither would my ex-husband. He'd have been thinking, oh, you know, I'm sure. So I'm not trying to say like, oh, that I'm the only one who would have felt like that. But yeah, and I thought that's a really good sign. Like, it shouldn't take a global pandemic to make you feel that. But yeah. Is there anything, if someone's listening and they're really relating to your story and maybe they're in the midst of all that, any advice you have for them or anything you'd say to them? Yeah, I would say hold your cards close to your chest when it comes to anything relating to divorce and uh, particularly if you're going through the courts. Less is more. So you you when you're going through it all, you'll get lots, you'll get 
almost sort of bombarded with the other side sending you emails and requesting information. And I sort of thought that meant you had to respond to everything. And I now realise that actually they very rarely ever responded to anything that I requested. And and even when we were in court, there were just things where I would be like, oh, so we're not getting that either. OK, like, you know, like it, it's just the way the whole system isn't as robust as I thought it was going to be. So I, I would just say, hold your horses. My other advice would be every time you get a text or an email from your ex, if you've got kids, don't respond. Sleep on it. I think even without kids, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I need to sleep on it before I respond. Yeah, you need try and uh, um, my big thing is don't let them change you. So whenever I receive an email, I my my gut instinct will be to respond in a similar tone. And then I go, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be who I am and I'm going to be polite and I'm going to say thank you because I'm not going there. I will not change. I will be civil and polite and I have to look myself in the mirror so that yeah that's and it does get better (laughs) it does but um yeah just be very careful if you're listening to this because you're thinking I think when you're considering getting divorced you often start to gather information and you look for permission to divorce from other people who've been divorced you sort of say oh well I quite like who they are and what they stand for and they're divorced so it's all right you know this is what I did and I think just be very tread very carefully if you think that divorcing your husband or wife means that you can afterwards not have to I guess treat them with kid gloves and worry about their feelings I would say it's the absolute opposite you have to be even more gentle and more kind because you're not able to um have those sort of heartfelt emotional conversations anymore so you you really do have to be um extremely kind and that's hard when you're hurting so, yeah, I don't know. I think the problem is a lot of this doesn't really make sense until you've gone through it. No, but I think that's all really good advice. I was nodding along to a lot of that, definitely. Um, but thank you so much. This has been... Have you got rid of your wedding dress yet? No, my cat sleeps on it in the wardrobe. <laughs> so I like that. It's in, she's just taken, I don't know why, but she's just taken to, I leave the wardrobe open by accident sometimes and it's on like a bottom, like deep shelf and she just goes in and sleeps on it. So I'm like, all right. That's really lovely. (laughs) I think that's a fitting end. A cat bed. For the wedding dress, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. Where can people follow you and get in touch if they want to get, become part of your crusade? Yeah, um, so the main place I am is Instagram. My business account is at Mrs. Bell's Brownies. And my more personal account is at Holly Bell Mummy. Um, and uh, I, my recipe blog is still going and I still have cookbooks and all that sort of stuff. And I, I do a little bit of writing for various newspapers. So, yeah, but... Um, if there are any journalists or sort of people with connections to uh, MPs listening, I really would love to be involved in reforming the way that child maintenance works in this country. I'd love to help and give 
I know so many women who would also love to get sort of if there was a consultation going on there's so many women who could give really good advice and points of view on what works and what doesn't I know some lawyers do listen so hopefully we can bring you all together yeah fingers crossed thank you thank you for having me Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.